the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spot Track in your browser. Register for one year, get that 40% off. Download the app and personalize it for exclusive content, podcasts, long form articles, and all the works at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash Spot Track. My name is Mike Gennetti. It's a special edition Friday podcast of the Spot Track Podcast because. The Broncos are breaking sports Twitter right now. And uh, I'm bringing in Dan Soman and Scott Allen to have a little roundtable about this. And I promise you this is not going to be a homicide. Okay? I'm not going to sit there and ask questions about when will he get out of there? What's the dead cap going to be? If, you, if you're thinking about that right now, A, you can look on our site. And B, you probably shouldn't be thinking about that right now. Because it's just an overreaction. The contract is what it is. Should the contract be here? We talk about that. What does the contract actually say? We talk about that. What does, what does doing the contract early actually say that I think isn't being talked about enough? We talk about that. Then at the back end, we, we flip the switch to some Major League Baseball playoffs, which start in about an hour here. Best bets, best underdogs, some of the, the major players, um, some series bets, some talk about Jacob deGrom, maybe some Aaron Judge in there as well. But just a quick gamut through, you know, a 20-minute recap and uh, preview of what's about to ha- happen here in the next six weeks in Major League Baseball with just some massive teams. Good pitching staffs, tons of home runs. It should be a really enjoyable hell of a postseason for Major League Baseball. So our thoughts and our picks at the back end of the show after Denver and Russell Wilson drama. Hope you enjoy. All right, Dan Scott, let's play into the mainstream uh <laughs> Myriad, that is the Denver Broncos this morning. First question is simple. Did you stay up to watch this disaster? I did not. I got through half. Dan? Um, I watched about um, 12 plays. <laughs> oh, shit. You tapped out early, and there's not even any baseball to turn to. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Oh. Even my wife was watching with me while she was getting some schoolwork done, and yeah. she even said what a train wreck it was. Yeah, pretty crazy. Somebody on the pregame show, I think it was Whitworth, actually called like a 9-6 game. So uh, this was not a surprise, I don't think. But here we are. The Broncos' offense is stale. I, I'm not going to... The point of this isn't to have an emergency podcast and shit on Russell Wilson, by the way. I actually want to talk about this as professionally as possible. And I don't want to get into X's and O's. I don't think we have to. <laughs> um, I want to start with this question because I don't think it's going to be talked about quite enough. Is this just what it looks like when a team builds an offseason around somebody and that somebody doesn't show up? Because Nathaniel Hackett being hired as this coach was supposed to be part one in a two-part series that included Aaron Rodgers being the quarterback of this team, right? Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that, that that was the motive behind um, bringing in Hackett in the first place. And then... You you when you don't get Rodgers, you go to Russ, who totally different quarterback, has, less skilled, yeah, totally, but, yeah, yeah, different offense that he wants to run as well. So when you have two Nate Hackett, you know, it's it's kind of well known that his offense takes a little, well, whatever his offense is actually is at this point, um, it, it's not like a quick, um, a quick learn for anybody. So it, it doesn't really surprise me that you there's sort of two conflicting. Um, variables there with, between the head coach and the quarterback. I think everything you said there is exactly right. And I, and I promise we won't get into X's and O's too much, but 
all the analysis you're going to see again this week, and we saw it last week, is there are guys wide open in this offense. So I think Hackett's offense may be working, and it did in Jacksonville for a couple years. I I think there is the ability to have this be successful. It's just Wilson not running through the progressions. Uh, so, so let's just talk about his contract here. And again, I'm going to try to be as professional as possible here because the norm on the Twitter sphere and pretty much everywhere in the world right now is going to be, why did you pay this guy $245 million when he just doesn't look like a semblance of himself? Can I play devil's advocate off the top here and then have you guys speak to it? Scott, maybe I'll start with you. Um, this is the classic case of us forgetting that it's not our money. <laughs> okay. Um, two things. One, both Hackett and Russell Wilson were on this roster when the Walmart family took over this team. Now, they weren't going to not take it over if they, you know, if they didn't like the quarterback or the coach. They can deal with that if they have to down the road. I just wanted to make sure that was out there. They didn't, they didn't hire Hackett. They didn't acquire Russell Wilson. Those things happened as part of the transition process to the new ownership. They have an absolute infinity amount of cash dollars available to them. and. So often we look at total contract value and cash earnings in a year, like we do with every sport, but we can't do that in the NFL. So the first topic I want to get to here is this. They save 7 million of cap space this year, and they're going to save 5 million of cap space next year with this contract. Isn't that as important as anything here? Yeah, you're right. That is important. However, uh, did they put the cart before the horse in right. this case? You know, they they hadn't even seen one snap with Russell Wilson. So why I guess, even? Let me push back, I, I though, Scott. Why. Let me push back. Yes, he was supposed to earn fifty four million cash over the next two years, and now he's earning eighty five. My point is this: Should we care? It's not our money. It's not, and it and it and it positively affected the salary cap, regardless of how much more cash he's earning. So should we care how much he's making right now? Not right now, but you should care in three years when his Bingo. cap hit jumps up to 55 million and, and that's when you're going to be hurt. So th- for the short term, yes, that it's a no brainer to save cap so that you can bring in certain players into the system that you want. Now however, however, in the long term, this could cripple this franchise for years to come if this really does not work out. All right. You, you put the ball on the tee for me. I'm going to hit it out of the park here, and Dan, you're going to run with it. Aren't we just overreacting to four, five weeks of football because we saw Tom Brady do it in one year, because we saw Matthew Stafford do it in one year? This, is not, this was not built to be a one-year deal. And I, I, will, dis, I will agree with you, Scott, and, and Dan and I have talked about it quite a bit as well, and I've said it on the show. 97 times. I still don't understand why they did this contract when they did it. But here's one reason why you do it. And Scott, you just said it. And I think you said it thinking it's a bad thing, but I think it's a good thing. They bought themselves three years of friendly cap with Russell Wilson. And he's only 34. Now he looks 40, right? And his decision-making looks like he's 22. But this doesn't have to be an immediate thing. They don't have to win the Super Bowl this year. They can extend Bradley Chubb, who looks excellent. They can keep more, you know, a few of these receivers. Maybe they trade Jerry Judy, who looks lost out there, and improve there. But I think you said it, Scott, kind of flippantly. There's, there's time to fix this roster around Russell Wilson and make it Russell Wilson's team because he's not Aaron Rodgers. They have to, make, they have to do some work on this 
over the next offseason, maybe two offseasons, to make this work for all parties. I don't expect Russell Wilson to be traded or cut. I don't even expect Nathaniel Hackett to be fired because I think they've bought themselves time with this contract. And that's why you do it early. You do it now so that when we get to 2025 and he's 37 years old and that cap hit is 55, by the way, against what? A $250 million salary cap, which is going to be normal, 20% of the cap. I think what they've done here is said, all right, this may be a disaster. This may not work out of the gate, but we can structure a contract that can buy us time to add pieces, to make some maneuvers, and to go through some growing pains. Why aren't they saying this stuff out loud? Even if they don't believe, even if this wasn't the thing and they just flippantly gave him money just because it was the cool thing to do, why not just say this, right? Yeah, I or am I, I overthinking mean, it? it? Tell me I'm wrong. Well, no, no, no. I I think I think you're largely right here. I mean, to sort of separate it, a, a lot of this is recency bias. Like, yeah. are the Broncos going to be this bad this uh, for the next three years? Absolutely not. Um, new quarterback, new coach, new system for yeah. everybody. It's obviously going to be a transition period. I do think though how bad it's looked this early is a little bit concerning in terms of like, um, uh, like long-term chemistry in my opinion. And I, I guess I say that you're, you're the contract makes you stuck with Russ. I, I definitely think Nate Hackett, it is going to be the fall on the sword guy. If this is this bad all year for the rest of the year, that's you know right, what I mean? Yeah, that's right. So, and, and I say that knowing that with the assumption Hackett was brought in, as Aaron Rodgers bait, it didn't work out. You bring in Russ, you still see if Nate Hackett and Russ can get along. It probably, it, it, it seems to be not working and Nate Hackett kind of looks lost in a coaching decision um, perspective. So I do think at some point, if it is this bad, there's going to be an expectation expectation that they need to isolate the issue. Mm -hmm. And you really can't get rid of Russ at this point. I mean, you're not going to get rid of Russ and say, well, well let's see if Nate Hackett can, make it work with, uh, with Trevor Ripien or whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> so I, I think at some point they're going to have to isolate it. And I, so I do think it's um, to like, to kind of cover both of those, a lot of this, the narrative is attached to the recency bias, right. but I do think at some point they're going to have to try and isolate the issue. And the, the issue, the easiest way to do that is to get, to move on from Hackett, bring in another coach um, and try and retool some of the offense. But yeah, also just to point this out, I think everybody needs to have a sort of come to Jesus moment that the let Russ cook thing is, hmm. is not real. And it maybe never was. And we've seen that, um, there were I, Mike and I have discussed, discussed this offline before, but there was a Mike Sando piece in the athletic in the off season where he talks to, to GMs around the league and gets their opinion on players. And a big consensus among GMs around the league was that Russ was more of a system quarterback who needed a rushing offense um, in order for him to work around that, get out of the pocket, do the things that he does well, play out of play action. Um, R.E. John Schneider and Pete Carroll knew what the hell they were doing the whole time. They were protecting exactly. uh, uh, a not superstar passing quarterback, right? Exactly. He succeeded in that offense because it was built that way for him to succeed and that he was never, he was never going to be this, 5,000 yard, 35 right. touchdown quarterback consistently. So, um, which leads into the next thing though, the Denver offense was seemingly set up to explode in that let Russ cook sort of format. So if, 
it's not going to play no. out like that. And they're going to have Aaron Rodgers cook format. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so now, so now you insert Russ there though, and the offense isn't necessarily set up in a manner for him to succeed. So I think the easiest ways to rectify this, to just paint a broad stroke over this is maybe make a move with Nate for Nate Hackett. Uh, sorry to bring in a different coach instead of Nate Hackett and bring in different personnel that better aligns with Russ, but that's not going to happen during the season. We may very well just have to ride this out through the rest of the season and, and, and um, they'll, they'll need to make the adjustments in the off season, I, but I, I could be way off. No, no, no. I think you're nailing it. And Scott, I want to bring in one other element that you talked about this morning in our kind of like morning chats. They have a version of this already in Denver with Peyton Manning, right? They, they saw this. Now, it's a very different circumstance, but you, there's a lot of parallels to this. When Peyton came in, it looked like, holy crap, he's going to have to retire. He can't do this anymore. And instead of just giving up on the process, they just altered things. They altered the play calling. They ramped up the defense in that second, in that first offseason of Peyton, knowing that was going to have to carry the way. They built, they built a better run game in. They brought in massive tight ends. And they won the damn Super Bowl the next year. Isn't that just where we're headed here? We're just headed to what Dan is talking about, of the reality of what Russell Wilson is. And by the way, Russell Wilson right now is way more talented than Peyton Manning with neck surgery, you know, fusion surgery. So please don't, you know, take those words out of my mouth. I'm just drawing the parallels of adjustments here. Scott, that's where we're headed though, right? Denver can, can make some, some decent changes this offseason. And by the way, with... 13 million of cap space when you consider the rollover that's been unlocked here by this Russ contract. Yeah, absolutely. There's time to pivot and, and roster construct around Russ. But my, my question back to you and Dan is, was this move for trading for Russell, yeah. knowing that they probably wanted to have Aaron reckless going out and getting Russ when you had a system in place that you it doesn't fit Russ to a T as we've been talking about. Do you, do you just ride it out for one more year, save your picks, save some of the players? And in other words, you know, should they just have ran with Drew Locke one more year? Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're you're with Russ compared to Aaron, you're fitting a, a square peg into a round hole and it doesn't work. So now they're going to have to to whittle away that square into a, a circle to make this work. So they're going to have to be creative from a cap and player development and player acquisition standpoint to make it work for Russ. Otherwise, like I said earlier, this could be a complete disaster for, from a franchise standpoint, because, you know, it, it they're going to have to do something because it, it one way or another, something's going to get, you know, Scott, it's, it's not a terrible point because if we're talking about cap space, right? I mean, true lock, true lock accounts are about 1.4 million. So you're talking, you know, 16 to 17 million saved there, which could have either been rolled into next year. They could have been one of the worst teams in football because they were already in a division that, you know, has complete monsters right now. So they could have easily lost all their division games this year. And then you're talking about Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and, and, a, and a real start over from scratch, number one overall pick quarterback. Dan, I'll say this to you, though. I, I know you said this out loud. They ju they're just terrible at drafting quarterbacks, right? That had to be in the back of their mind when they reacted and made this move. Yeah, they've they've made new numerous missteps at the quarterback position. So, yeah. So th to even unwind this a little bit further, I don't 
the the Russ move in itself isn't the issue. I think the main issue was the Nate Hackett hire as trade bait for Rodgers. That seems like such a short sighted move to me. Yeah. Um, like the bringing in trying to get Devonte Adams would have been the bigger trade bait to me than like Nate. Like really was Rodgers gonna just drop his his career in Green Bay to chase Nate Hackett? Like I don't know. That just seemed weird from the start to me. So. The Nate Hackett thing seems like the issue. I don't have an issue with them then trading for Russ because they do need to identify a quarterback without a quarterback or nothing in the league. We all know that, but their next misstep was then just giving him a massive contract without him ever throwing a pass for the team. It's just like, it yep. just seems like it, it was so premature and yeah, maybe they looked at themselves in the mirror and said, we were not really good at identifying a quarterback, but I mean, a, what does that say to you about to, to you about your talent evaluators in the front office, but B it's just, it, it just seems like the process was all messed up. Like, like when you hire a coach before a GM or, or however that all works. So, well, it's like, it's like they, they didn't get the Roger situation. So what's the next best thing, even if it doesn't fit into our scheme, yeah, total reaction or our personnel right? and it's total reaction. So it, they're sort of getting nipped in the butt and then they compounded the situation by giving him the massive contract, even though it is short term, save some cap here and there. But in the long term, like I said, it, it could be a complete disaster. And so now they have to pivot one way or another. Yeah, we're a quarter of the way through uh, the season. So that, but can I poke a hole in that though, Scott, too? Because I've heard this in a couple of areas this morning too, and it's, it's factual. This team should be four and one right now. <laughs> Could have easily won the Seahawks game. Bad coaching decision, two bad fumbles. Should have easily won this game last night with any kind of semblance of a drive and then and or kicking a field goal down the stretch and putting the pressure on the Colts. So there's Hackett discussions there. And Dan, I know you've said it a couple of times. And if that continues, you're right. It's it's going to be one and done at most for him. But are we talking about Russ this way if they're four and one? It's it's not going to feel like a great four and one, but still, there's a pretty easy path to four and one for this team right now in the first five games, right? Well, I I still think we're I, I mean respectfully, I still think we're talking about them in a similar manner because the wins have been disgusting. Like yeah. th- for a team that was supposed, this was an offense that was supposed to blow up and ex- and ascend in big ways this year, and it's like totally stuck in the mud. I mean, scoring. 16 points, 11 points in a win and nine points versus the Colts who have been, I I don't know. I I'm just, I I think the narrative wouldn't change that much depending on their record, but I know how people like the, the wins losses. So to add to that, the the offense looked atrocious. Mike made a good comment. Jerry Judy just looks lost out there, which he does, but are we, are we convinced that, the Russell Wilson finger issue from last year isn't still an issue now. He would have told us. He would have told us. <laughs> he does not shy away from that stuff. Okay. I mean, <laughs> bringing everything to the table here. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, you know, it's fair, though. I mean, 3,100 yards last year. He had a really nice 2020 in Seattle from a passing perspective, although the, the completion percentage to some degree is what it is. It's below 60 now for the first time in his career. Again, I'm not here to crucify Russell Wilson and, and and not believe that over the next 12 weeks he can't turn a lot of this around, and the offense should. I mean, it is talented. 
in a lot of reg- losing the running back is going to be a problem. Losing the left tackle is going to be a massive problem, and maybe maybe could be a, a a release, you know, for some of this this mess down the stretch here. But I guess let's just let's just eyeball this. No, we got to talk about the contract a little bit because that's what we do for a living here. Let's just say this implodes for a few minutes here. Does anybody here think that Russell Wilson's off this roster after 2022? No, no. Is it possible after 2023? I mean, he'd have to look like right. well done, fully burned to a crisp cooked, in my opinion, um, for, for that to even happen. So, no, I think he's still I think he has a long, long leash because of the contract. I just can't imagine it either. Um, it would be an insane amount of cash to pull out at this point in time. And, and if we're saying he's not leaving after this year and he's not leaving after next year, then he's getting the $161 million f- over four years. So if you want to talk about digging a hole, here's the only concern I have. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, they're going to be screwed. They're going to have to take a $90 million dead kit. But no, no, they're not. They're not. Because the Broncos can be flexible, like we said, and they have three off seasons ahead of them now to kind of fit in the puzzle pieces properly. But if you're, if you're taking a lot of the things to heart that you're hearing this morning from some analysts, from former teammates, et cetera, which I don't think is going to stop, by the way, this is going to snowball for a while here. Can Russell Wilson change? Will so Can Russell Wilson have a 2.0 of himself like Peyton Manning was able to do like some of these other quarterbacks have been able to do, Brady included, right? Brady, Brady's a dump down, dink and dunk kind of quarterback now. Where he, you know he, there was a day when his moon ball was as good as Russell's was. So, I, I'm worried that Russell can't and won't change because of the personality that he is. And if that's the case, this is going to be the, the the worst contract in the history of football, and that's not hyperbole. It's a it's a good point, Mike, because. Like he's always been, he's probably always been the person he is, but a lot of the Russell Wilson mystique comes with that whole being a, a mid round draft pick coming up with the Seahawks Legion of boom, that whole team that, you know, dynasty talk a lot, a lot of that comes from that whole period in his career. And now he kind of transitions to a whole new t- team, a whole new organization with no allegiance to him. And he's sort of trying to just like, feed off of that still. And it's almost like he might need to like re earn a little bit of the respect within that room. I mean, I, I have no idea what's being thought of in that room. I'm just sort of speculating here, but I think KJ Hamler uh, told it, told everybody what, what they're thinking. Well, right. And you have, and, and you've seen some of like the NFL film stuff where he's like telling everybody to yell, run or pass. And you can kind of see some guys are like rolling their eyes. Like, is this, are we really doing this? Like, I, I don't know. I get this sense that, people in the room might think he's a cheese ball also um where in like seattle it just like came with the territory that he was going to be a seahawks legend because of what he's already accomplished in his career so i think that's a fair point that if he's not there like if if he departs after 2023 i think it's because there's just like a an overall lack of self-awareness on his part and right. he doesn't change in the in his his respect in the locker room just continues to deteriorate from here. That's the only real way I see him not um, getting to that, that threshold that you mentioned with, with the money. And the other issue is this, and uh, 
we can talk about the cash until we're blue in the face. I, you know, this is an unlimited checkbook, I would imagine, right now for this team. They're going to have to pay to make the changes that they're talking about. And, and whether that's trade acquisitions and giving up on some players like a Judy or some, maybe somebody in the secondary that they have a surplus of, or flat-out free agency, which is terrifying. You know, it, the hit rate on free agency is awful. You're overpaying. It's going to destroy your t- salary cap table, maybe not for this year, but for a couple of years if you, if you stretch out with void years. And that's all the case, Dan, because the first and second round pick next year are already gone. That's part of the Russell Wilson legacy here. So you're not going to be able to quickly just cheaply, inexpensively get starting players out of the draft next year because of what you've done here to get this quarterback. So it, it's part of the conversation. It's why I tweeted about the Seahawks situation this morning. That's going to be a big conversation if this have to build the roster around Russ conversation starts to carry legs, which I think it's going to over the next 10 weeks. Yeah, this is a team that can should and probably will look, I would guess, at the trade deadline this year pretty heavily yeah. to see what they can acquire in this season to try to turn it around when the second half of the season, because right. they know they don't have those draft picks going into 23 first and second round, like you said. So they sort of have to play quote unquote free agency early where you're acquiring via the trade. Even if it is middling pieces towards the back end of your roster, you have to start somewhere. And if that's going to be the case, you got you got to start looking at some other teams' pieces that they may not want right now. It's something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Any other thoughts on this situation, or have we uh, beaten a dead horse here? No pun intended. I think it's I think it's over. Okay. I want to switch to baseball. You guys mind? Wild card situation starts in yeah. about an hour here, East Coast time. Um. Dan, you and I have talked quite a bit because both of our teams are in this. Both of our teams are in the first round here, the Mets and the Guardians. Both of our teams are getting a lot of underdog love right now. Are you comfortable with the Mets and the Guardians right now, or do you believe that their path is just too deep to get forward? It's kind of funny you ask because I'm literally filling out my um, yeah. MLB bracket right now, putting my finishing touches. And um, yeah, this was about the transition into what bets we should make. So you can just go off if you want here, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like to cover those two individually. Um, so sorry, let's let's back up all the way. When I'm looking at the playoffs, just like as a blanket statement. I'm totally trying to identify elite pitching um, Mm -hmm. teams with like good depth at starting pitching um, in terms of like elite guys. Right. We see, in other words, I'm looking at teams with like three really good starting pitchers. Um, So I think anytime you have that, the Mets definitely have a chance, but their road is just like really difficult. And that's, that was sort of lost in the whole narrative of them letting the division slip away. Um, was that how hard their path immediately got. So if they win versus the Padres, they're going to have to face the Dodgers um, Mm -hmm. and then likely the Braves um, in the championship round, but, or the Cardinals or the Phillies. But um, yeah, so I I don't know, just to like make a prediction, I guess I do like the Mets here, but I don't like them to go that far. And I sort of guess I've stepped on my original point of elite starting pitching um, because I'm mostly giving the Mets a chance to go far because of DeGrom and Scherzer, but 
My follow-up to that is that if either of those guys don't give them the performances we're sort of expecting them, I think it gets really thin really quickly behind them, right? Mm. Okay. I'm I'm not going to argue with that. Can we stick with the pitching staffs? Yeah, go ahead. Are the Dodgers the best pitching staff in the National League? Um, I would tend to say their top four are probably the strongest. Yeah. I would uh, not, not overall top end, but in terms of like a core four, um, I think, I think that is, um, they're, they're pretty powerful. And the reason it like, so let's like say this plays out the Mets win face the Dodgers, the Mets will line up to Grom and Scherzer probably only once in that series, which is going to be difficult. The Dodgers are basically going to rotate they're they're going to get their top three guys in that series twice if if needed. So um, that's a that's a that's a pretty big uh, a gap there in my opinion. Isn't it wild that we're saying this without the Dodgers ace being available? <laughs> I mean that's that's the freaking terrifying thing about this Dodgers franchise. They have done this over and over. They have they have handled massive massive injuries and been relevant late into October. Well, and they have the best all around the bullpen too. They have such good matchup arms in that bullpen. Like you look, you look down it and there's really not a lot of names that pop out to you, but they mix and match so well that they're going to, they're going to be able to um, create an edge there. So that's why the, the strong, the strength of their starting pitcher mixed with a ton of firepower in the bullpen that they can utilize matchups, which we know take precedent in the playoffs. We don't really have to worry about pitchers going six innings, seven innings, because as soon as there's a high leverage situation, they're going to go to their bullpen. Um, And and that's where I say, if Scherzer or DeGrom have to get yanked early in their start and and it sort of gets narrowed down to that, I don't know if they're, you know, they have enough pop in their lineup plus enough depth in their bullpen um, to compete in a series with a team as strong as the Dodgers. I mean, this isn't taking anything away from the Mets. It's really more of a credit to how good that Dodgers roster is up and down. So I'm not sure if you guys have either seen this yet, but I'll, I'll bring this to the forefront. Scott, Buck Showalter, Mets manager, has come out and basically said he is considering shelving DeGrom for this wild card series because he believes that Scherzer and Chris Bassett as a one-two can can eliminate the uh, the San Diego Padres on their own, which would, which would set up DeGrom for game one against the Dodgers and essentially two games against the Dodgers in that big series. Do you believe that, or is there gamesmanship happening here? I'll say both. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think I mean, he could change his mind a minute before the game. <laughs> I oh, really do. <laughs> absolutely, but from a gamesmanship, you have to do everything you can to, A, pump up your players. So you're already telling your players that you're anticipating winning this series and setting that's my favorite part is the confidence you're instilling that this well, wait, we don't wait, even belong let, in this let, series but let's just say like he can say that now but if they don't win in two games and you're going into game three there's zero chance you're zero pitching chance. Taiwan Walker or Carlos Grasco in that game and not DeGrom just to set up just to set him up for two do you know what I yeah, mean but I, zero I, I would take that I, I would take that for sure Knowing that if you can be done in two and then move on, you have your ace going up against Dodgers. Whereas if you have to play him in that third game, then so be it. Then your your rotation is going to be goofy going into L.A., but at least you've set yourself up for the future knowing that 
you're putting two solid players in your first two games against the Padres. Can I just tell you my favorite part about it, though? My favorite part is that we know it. My favorite part is that Buck Showalter got in front of a microphone and said this out loud, which just stirred controversy. He created the headline. He, he, is, he is doing this on purpose to put thoughts in the Padres' minds and make them maybe overthink their process, to put thoughts in the Dodgers' minds who are sitting home watching all this now and maybe are getting amped up for a situation that the Mets are already looking ahead to them. I just love that, they, that he made it public, where he could have just gone about his business. And, and you're right. If they win game one, he's probably starting Bassett game two, and then it becomes a story. Whereas now, just, just you know, in these couple of off days here, he's created such a stir with it. If I told you, Dan, I, go ahead, man. Uh, no, I, just, I don't. Personally, I don't really think he's fooling anyone. I think that the, the. But will any other team do this? Will your team do well, this? The issue, the issue that the issue, we'll see if he puts his money where his mouth is. If the Mets lose Game One, right? No and chance. If game Two is an elimination game. Where are are you going, Bassett, or are you going to Grom? I mean, you're probably going to Grom yeah. in an elimination game, right? So that's going to be the linch point pin. But if the Mets win Game One from a game theory perspective, I think you have to play Bassett. You have to pitch Bassett in Game Two and hope you can save DeGrom. And if not, no, you have him for the elimination game yep. because whether you pitch DeGrom in game two or in a necessary game three, he's going to be wasted for the beginning of the Dodger series. Right. So yeah. from a game theory perspective, I think it's the smart decision, but where we're going to really see him Buck Walter have to put his money where his mouth is, is if the Mets lose game one. That's right. And it's very possible because, uh, you Darvish has been a Mets killer for a very, very long time here. So I'm not, I'm not as confident, let's say, as the, uh, the Mets organization may be right now. Dan, your Guardians, I think for all intents, are the second best AL pitching staff. Are they, is there a big gap between them and Houston, though, in, in basically all regards? Is that how you feel right now heading into this thing? Or do you think that it's competitive? Well, I do... Uh, I mean, spoiler alert, I do have the Astros. It, uh, my World Series is Astros Dodgers, and I have the Astros Shock. in there because I do I do think, I mean, but yeah, wait, if, if you want to see how this all plays out, though, I, I mean, they are the deepest, deepest yeah. team. So where I went off the board, though, is I do have the Guardians facing the Astros in the championship series because, which would mean the Guardians beat the Rays, Guardians beat the Yankees. Now, my thought process there is largely the Rays are coming off a nine game road trip flying directly to Cleveland for mm. three game playoffs. Right. So that's sort of an untangible um, thing I'm trying to account for where I think the guardians have the edge. And while they don't have the elite depth and starting pitching that I was just talking about, um, they do have a bit of what the Dodgers have in the bullpen where they have a lot of really nice arms that aren't necessarily sexy, but they match up really well. And Tito Tito's going to match them up well. So, um, in the Ray series, I think they can squeak by, but it is a three game series. Anything can happen. And once you get to the Yankees, man, like I, I understand the Yankees are the Yankees, but I like that roster way more over the course of a one of one sixty two rather than a seven game series. And I mean that, um, I mean, yeah, obviously you're going to get Cole for two, but beyond Cole, you're kind of, you're kind of into it. And that we've seen their bullpen kind of take a little bit of a step back mm -hmm. here down the stretch. Um, their offense is obviously elite, but is very susceptible to cold stretches um, versus good pitching staffs, the way they, the way they generate runs. So that, 
that's sort of my hot take is I do think the guardians have a chance to get to the championship series. I don't necessarily think it's likely, um, but that's sort of my uh, out on a limb prediction for the world, for this playoff series. I know it's a, a biased homer take out of me as well, but just looking at how this all sets up, I think there's a legit chance. Do any of the wild cards sneak through in the national league, Scott? Mm, I think that the, well, Dan already alluded to the Mets potentially, depending on how things shake out. I think the best net uh, is St. Louis. Yeah, possibly. I just don't. I don't love the pitching. I never have. I, Dan and I didn't believe in it to start the year. Yeah, to but me, they, it never got better, <laughs> except for Montgomery. It, it didn't. It didn't. But that team has always showed us resilience, and somehow they'll pull something out of somewhere to get there. I, I don't foresee them getting past the Braves, but that's a. If I had to pick a team, that that's who I'd go with. Phillies, Phillies in two. That's my, my that's my other hot take. All right, straight through, right? Uh, uh, they're mashing I, right I, now, I, and their pitching has really run it into form. I agree, Dan. it's Aaron, it's Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler yeah. against Jose Quintana in a TBD, which is uh, I pro- probably Mike Mike Miles Nicholas. So. Um, just from that perspective, but Scott, all of your points are valid. The Cardinals in theory should wipe them up. They have a super deep roster, a, you know, depth at starting pitching, even though it's not very good, a decent bullpen, I'm mm-hmm. uh, sorry, elite starting pitching, I should say. Um, so your points are all valid. I'm just, I'm just trying to go off the board and no, I'm no, trying to I, like the Phillies and two for, uh, for I, a hot take. Uh, I, I, and I agree with you with that. The thing that if the bats for the St. Louis Cardinals get hot, like they did in the middle of the season there, where everybody would seem to be mashing home runs and getting on base, then uh, that's where I can see them getting past the Phillies. For sure. For sure. How much any off, how much does home runs matter right now? Hugely. I mean, that's that, that's my like, reoccurring theme with the playoffs is like, I, I think elite starting pitching wins out over offense because, um, but the, the great equalizer in that is home runs, right? If you run into a Yankees team that just starts smoking home runs or the Phillies is another, I mean, really a lot of these teams have the firepower. There's only Tons. a couple teams that, that really can't bop, um, like we're talking about, but I, yeah, I think any of those teams, um, I mean, the Cardinals get on a hot streak and start hitting home runs. Uh, they're they're in the same category here. So I totally agree. I, I think uh, home runs are going to be massively important here. The last year's World Series champ Braves, they were third in home runs in 2021. In 2020, the Dodgers were first by a lot in home runs. The Nationals were a bit of an anomaly. They were 13th in 2019. If we keep going back, it's just a trend that's not going away, unfortunately. Now, look, I, I threw a tweet out this morning. I don't know if you guys saw it. Home runs are down by, by about 700 this year in the league. So is that ball? Is that, I don't know what that is because to me, Dan, all we talked about for the first month of the season was that they took away the gooey stuff. So the ball's moving straighter. So the ball should be flying out of the park more. Well, why do we have 700 less home runs right now? And will that actually start to impact this trend? Will the guys who are just up there looking for three, four home runs a game and that's how they win ball games. That's the Yankees. That's the Braves. To some degree, that's Houston. They're fourth. The Dodgers are fifth in home runs. The Phillies are sixth. You know, you got to go quite a bit down to get to a team that doesn't rely on the home run. The Mets are 15th, right in the middle of the pack here. 
you know, your team's way down. Cleveland's 29th and Tampa Bay's 25th. So if we're talking about the underdogs getting through, I think it's going to be small ball that does it. It's going to be that the big bats don't hit the ball out in, with consistency in, in a series and small ball and ends up winning through, but just hasn't been the way to win the World Series lately. But is, does anybody have any kind of anything to say about 700 less home runs this year? Am I missing something? No, that's huge. Uh, I mean, looking at your tweet here, going from 6,700 to 5,900 to 5,200, that 1,500 less in a five-year span. That's right. That's crazy. It's very crazy. So is that ball that deadened that we've all speculated? And is that what Major League Baseball really wants to have? I mean, that's not an anomaly that we've had this decrease over the last three years. And and the weather's getting colder. It's not going to fly out with with yeah. as much regularity. But you know, Dan, I I still think at the end of the day, you bet on home runs, right? Maybe not. Well, <laughs> I guess I guess I don't. That's sort of contextual, I guess. I mean, like if I'm betting on the Yankees to win the World Series, it's because I think they're just going to be a smoke show down the stretch, and and just yeah, it doesn't matter what the opposing pitching staff looks like. You know what I mean? But if the Yankees, if Judge is the only guy hitting, and they, you know most their starting nine goes, you know, one for 17 with runners in scoring position, then the Yankees aren't going to win. Right. That, that we, we all know how that goes. So it's kind of hard to like answer that the way that was um, presented, but I, um, I, it's going to, it's going to be a huge difference though. The three run Homer is the great equalizer in the playoffs because we're typically not seeing nine, seven, you know, 10, six games, things like that. So most home runs in night games this year. Any guesses? Which by the way, no idea now, right? (laughs) Pete Alonzo. No, no team team. Oh, (laughs) Phillies. No. Scott, you got a guess? Uh, I said Houston. It's the Braves by a lot. (laughs) It's the Braves by a lot. Guys, there's a lot of reasons to think this this could be a repeat, especially if Spencer Strider is healthy enough to pitch with regularity. There's a lot of reasons to like this team. So I I know, Dan, you've probably considered that team in in a couple of instances here. It's one of the hottest teams since the All-Star break. And they're a huge home run team. And they don't do much else. They don't steal except for Harris. They have some pitchers, but I don't think they're as deep from a pitching staff as some of these other teams, even though the rankings say otherwise. I know you, you're a big Max Free Charlie Morton guy this, this time of year. And they have two closers built into their, their bullpen right now. Why wouldn't you bet the Braves? You just think the Dodgers are too good and being underlooked right now? No, no. I, the Braves are... I. I think that's going to be a really good series. And I sort of stared at that one for a long time. I just, um, when it comes down to it, I like the matchups. The Dodgers are probably going to get um, late in games a little bit better than the Braves, but no, I mean, I, ha- I have no holes to poke in this Braves team. Um, if I'm going to, I don't think like if we're relying on Spencer Strider and Charlie Morton to be like the crux of their their staff going down the, like I'm a, 
I, I love Spencer Strider. It scares me to have a mm-hmm. young pitcher being like relied on so heavily um, in the playoffs, like as like a heavy favorite, like, or like if, if people think they're favorites like that. So um, yeah, I, I, that's a 50, 50 toss up series to me. I just think the Dodgers have so much playoff experience, um, a, such a good roster, a really good manager who knows how to, to, to milk, you know, he knows how to operate in these situations. So. Okay. Scott, any last thoughts? Do you want to make your picks? Dan's already got his out there. He's going chalk. He's going, is it Dodgers over Astros or Astros over Dodgers, Dan? I have, I should be picking the Astros because that was like my preseason team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have the Dodgers though, man. I have, uh, it's going to be hard to, to get around them. Dodgers over Astros is plus 1200 right now. Scott, what's your bet? Uh, I said in the beginning of the season, I believe Atlanta was going to repeat. So I'm going to stick with that. And I'm going Atlanta repeat over. Uh, I will say over Houston plus 1500. Put your money where your mouth is, sir. That's pretty good stuff. Um, uh, I've got, I've got Atlanta from plus 1200 from the beginning of the season. So let's do you really, I do. Yeah. You believed in them right from the get go, huh? <laughs> I, I figured I might as well put money where my mouth is, and that's what I thought from the beginning, so wow. I went with it. All right, good on you, I guess. That's looking halfway decent right now. There's no question about that. Uh, last question, guys, because I have to go home or before I get the hell out of here. Is, uh, is the next game for Jacob deGrom his last as a Met? I'll say yes. Hmm. I have no opinion, but um, I'll say no. I, I'll say he's back. Because of absurd amount of money or because just where he wants to be? I think the Mets window is shorter than people give it credit for. Um, Like they're like real prime window and it's going to get real expensive real quick. And I think Steve Cohen is going to. Yeah. So I think Steve Cohen's going to sort of identify that and he might just like write a blank checkbook, but I could be way off on this. I think the press, if they don't win the world series this year, the pressure to win in the next two years is going to be immense. And I think he's going to go balls to the wall um, and do what needs to be done to, to get that done. So that that's just kind of where I'm coming from, but it would not surprise me at all. If uh, DeGrom left, I just think he's back at least another year, short term, high money. I like it. Scott, I, yeah. I didn't ask you this question yet on the air. So I guess we'll finish with this officially. If the Yankees win the world series, that means Aaron judge, Walk. Walk. Good stuff, guys. We'll talk soon. Okay, my thanks to those guys. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Track for 40% off your first year subscription. For Dan Soman and Scott Allen, my name is Mike Janetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.